0: Hello, Hello, horror horror fanatics. fanatics. I'm Frank.
1: And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast,
0: Oh, Oh. The Horror. horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy.
1: If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts.
0: You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at o t h at seriouslydecent.com and you can check us out at our website oh the is
1: our email up and working again Fra- yes yeah, so we're gonna Franklin.
0: we're gonna address some uh items and addendums <laughs> uh first off the email address was down for well at the time this recording hits will have been about two weeks great however it's fully resolved Unfortunately, okay. I emailed a bunch of blog writers, re- podcast reviewers, <laughs> and of course, that's when—that's
1: when we went down. That's when so. the shit
0: hit the fan. So, and then dumb me wasn't thinking of anything because I was working and doing
1: doing stuff, the yeah.
0: eighteen million other things, and uh, yeah, a week goes by. And I'm like, you know. It's been pretty quiet on the email because usually we always get stuff from like the hosting platform. We get stuff from various other things that are related to the podcast. Mm -hmm. but And then it was just radio silence, which it's never that way. I always get email every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, transitioning to some other things. I dropped the ball on that. So I fixed all the technical issues with that because it was said, technical issues. That being said,
1: if anyone sent an email from about what, September 8th, Basically, September 9th?
0: Anything after September 7th. 7th. We okay. didn't get it.
1: So that being said, if you sent something and it was if you're important.
0: Still, if you're still listening and with us and enjoy us. And you uh, would like to and you're like what the hell, man? Need our permission for something? Uh, I did not get the message, so so
1: please resend.
0: We'd really appreciate if you resend an additional set of good news. Mm-hmm. Is we are now we have breached. I could adequately say we have breached in to the top ten percent of podcasts in the world.
1: Way to go, guys! Thank and I know yous. it sounds like,
0: like wicked. <laughs> sounds super like, like we're in the big time, but but no. Basically, <laughs> that puts us. Uh, no, it's great news. There's over uh, for people that might get a little nerdy towards this. There's basically over two million podcasts, or no, twenty million podcasts in the world, mm-hmm. and that was as of uh, August. Mm-hmm. They were calculating that out, and so basically, the top ten percent would be right. the top. 200,000 right podcast there's 200,000 podcasts in that list however we're very honored to be part of that and we could not do that without you listening every single week
1: you fantastic in. horror fanatics you beautiful people beautiful you.
0: people yes no that's uh so give yourself a hand
1: round of applause
0: Buy that iced coffee that you are gonna get yourself.
1: Treat yourself. Treat
0: yourself in the holiday of the fall and Han Solo uh, costume season for all the ladies. Yep. Get yourself a pumpkin, whatever.
1: Or, or get yourself a uh, hard cider slushy or a wine sure. slushy. Wine
0: slushy, yeah.
1: Or if you really need to poop, get a nice warm hot cider.
0: Yeah. Yeah that'll
1: do it but don't do that like on the road do mm -hmm. that at like the comfort of your home
0: but make a yeah make a toast to yourself thank you very much so now bell witch addendums i promised it's
1: all you thunder and
0: bell witch that i would read and boy did i read He did. Yes.
1: He did. He had something attached to himself, either a Kindle Kindle, or a a book or Or something. Or a Kindle
0: and a book, you know.
1: Well, you'd never had, like, Kindle in one hand, book in the other.
0: Double fisting, double reading.
1: no, no. You you didn't do that.
0: The funny part of Bellwitch, and that's what made it complicated when we did the podcast for Mm -hmm. it, there was a lot of information that we didn't access. We Honestly, we cheated and we did the internet. Right. On that yeah. one. I, I will self-confess on that one. I think it would be nice to revisit this and there are some podcasts coming up okay. in the next couple of weeks where we can tap into this a little more and give a little detail. So those of you that may have listened to Bell Witch and thought, ah, eh we're gonna not
1: one of their best ones. No,
0: we're gonna we're gonna make up on that. The books that I did read, uh Our Family Trouble, The Story of the Bell Witch. And mm-hmm. this was an interesting uh this was an, inter- I I can't really call it a book. It'd be like a novella. It's like 55 pages long. Got it. I read it in like 40 minutes, 40 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And, but what makes so it. So
1: it's the Cliff Notes. Bell well, Witch. no,
0: what makes this interesting. Now everybody's got to understand this is 1817 to 1820. This yeah. took place. It's 200 years ago as of last year. Yeah. So it gets foggy so with all point? this stuff. So. The Our Family Trouble, The Story of the Bell Witch, I really, really recommend this small book. A, it's small. Right. Probably cost you like 10 bucks. It's a little steep for something 55 pages long. Right. But it's content rich. Okay. And basically, it's detailed by Richard Williams Bell, which was one of the sons of old Jack Bell. Okay. And they claim that it's written 70 years after the events took place. So he was a younger kid.
1: When it happened.
0: Raised around this. And he reflects in that and in nature. They'll call it a journal, but it's not journal entry like Monday, this took it's place. It's more like
1: when you get that book called Grandma's Memories or Grandpa's Memories, and then they have to think back to things that happened when they were a kid or something like that. Well, no, because it's,
0: like it's in pretty good detail, which uh was interesting. But it's, it's not date-based, it's event-based. Got it. That's what I'm getting at. So... It's an event. Inve- it's a an event based book, and and it talks about a lot of the things in there. The next book is the an authenticated history of the famous Bell Witch by M. V. Ingram, and that was published in eighteen ninety four,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that was published obviously. Well, that's the one that was seventy ish years through mm-hmm. there, uh, and there's two. Sides of the Street with M.V. Ingram's book. Uh, basically, some are saying it's total fiction. Mm-hmm. Others are saying, eh. You know, others hop yeah. right into it. I think it's a matter of your belief structure. Right. But I I myself reading it, uh, I wouldn't exactly characterize it as fiction, but it does need to be used as a source with caution. So if you're using it as a source of thing, you got to kind of mash some stuff up. Because he was born after the fact, published after the Mm -hmm. fact. So he took everything from second-hand, third-hand sources going through. Right. Then you got the Bell Witch, the full account by Pat Fitzhugh, which was the one you recommended. yes. And that was published in 2009. Mm -hmm. And the journal one that I spoke about earlier, that was published in 2013. Mm -hmm. And I tried to get as much information as possible to figure out how the author got this journal Mm -hmm. type thing, and I couldn't find anything. Okay. This is the Bell Witch problem. You start reading this stuff and its accounts, and then you start digging into the teeth, and there's either, A, nothing documented, or someone says, nah, you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Again, it's a 200-year story. Right. But the Bell Witch, the full account with Pat Fitzhugh and the authenticated history of the famous Bell Witch by M.V. Ingram... Those are considered like the two top books. Like
1: the books.
0: So if you're a Bell Witch fan Mm -hmm. or you know nothing about Bell Witch and you're in the coming into the October Halloween season and you want to learn more about witches other than the Salem Witch Trials or the Witch Trials off in in Europe. Yeah. These would be two books that I would highly recommend. Okay. Because it's a great witch story. But also when I started reading this, you know, basically these three books I would recommend without reservation. Okay. If you want to get into it light, do the "Our Family Trouble." Yeah, fifty-five pages doesn't cost you. Done. Yeah, it's easy, and those are actually really good stories. Now, if you want to know more about the town Mm -hmm. and more about the history of the family Mm -hmm. and all that regular, you know, that outer enveloping part of the story, that's where you're going to go with MV Ingram and Pat Fitzhugh. Got it. Pat Fitzhugh is a real modern source because MV Ingram's dead. Okay. Where Pat Fitzhugh, he's He's the
1: dude that has been investigating it for 40 plus years. For a long time. Yeah.
0: And he's also had the advantage of the latest current technology to research things. Right. So he has a, def- he's definitely got a very complete package of a story. Right. However, Pat Fitzhugh thinks that M.V. Ingram is mostly fiction. Got it. And that's where it goes. So that's where, to stay balanced in this whole thing, mm-hmm. rec- I recommend both those books if you want to get soup to nuts in it and become mm-hmm. a Bell Witch fan. hmm what I found interesting to wrap it up in a bow is I don't think it's a witch at all. Right. I think it's a demon because it would recite scripture
1: mm-hmm.
0: to, the wor- like, to the letter. Um
1: thought demons weren't supposed to be able to do that, though.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. It's somewhere in between. Is it like a rogue angel type thing? That's mm-hmm. maybe that's where I kind of felt reading this, you know, the witch thing I just couldn't really put together because it wasn't linked to an actual person. Right. It was just a spirit entity in the house. Now, a lot of them will say the uh, and I'll wrap this up quick because we got a whole nother topic to pop into. But the just to add some closure on what we were talking about before, like the uh, ventriloquism and stuff like that, a lot of those older stories were basically debunking that because the two people that had the ability to do that At times, we're not in the house, and the stuff would take place. Got it. So the deal with Old Jack Bell, just real quick, he was a he made himself a very self-made, um, well-to-do guy. Got it. And in the course of this, when it happened in eighteen seventeen to eighteen twenty, it was only three years. Mm -hmm. He basically, it stayed quiet in the beginning, and then during, at one point, he called his neighbor uh johnson over and johnson came over spent the night he was part of the methodist uh church that they went to yeah and they were both considered leaders in that church and congregation Mm -hmm. and he brought calvin or i don't know if it's calvin johnson's last name is johnson over trusted neighbor and he it happened and he was roped right into it Mm -hmm. and then from there they took it out to the public right And they basically said, if you don't believe this or you're a cynic against this or a skeptic, come into the house. Yeah. And he didn't charge them. Right. He didn't eat, like, food. They would eat food. They could stay there. And he said, stay here as long as you like. Yeah. And that's the kind of interesting part of this whole story is you have all of these kind of stories around that time era. Mm
1: -hmm. And people,
0: it's got a lot of validation for it. But again, the crime of time is 200 years have passed. Right. And basically it's whatever you want to believe.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, at the, the end, end of the day, all of Which these most of are yeah. you you're either going to choose to believe it or not. Mm-hmm.
0: Regardless. But I wanted to uh I wanted to complete that up cuz I can't speak for Jen, but I know I kind of blasted through it online and then I found all these books and I was like, shit, I should have read some of these cuz it would have put a lot of more value in the episode. But yeah. in our future episodes, I'm going to circle back with this even more. Uh, well, and it'll here's the relate other thing. We future. can
1: always do like might, an addendum. We might do thing. A,
0: a part two. Part know, d- redo. Yeah. So. Remix. Felisca <laughs> <laughs> X Murder House.
1: Number 40.
0: 40. We are at 40. We are 40. counting
1: them down, yeah. folks.
0: Yeah, we're getting there. 12 more. Yeah. And that's a whole year. Yeah. 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 Not missing a single week. Nope. Mm-hmm. We're bench pressing these episodes, uh, you know, Ugh. like a monster.
1: Oh, setting personal records yeah. as we go. The
0: Murder House.
1: How about that,
0: Yes. Huh? I had no idea about this story.
1: Ugh. None.
0: And I
1: had all kinds of information about this story. Yeah.
0: I had no idea that this took place i had no idea uh about any of it so i went into this very very clean witch. i
1: love when you go into these blind
0: well and it's tough though because there's so much research you got to do on them so like yeah. i was doing all this research on this and i'm reading the bell witch stuff that i already did a week on yeah and uh it just yeah i got pretty cooked I am not going to lie. And then the email issue. I yeah. was just like, "Come on, man." You know, but Can that's can't uh, you
1: break. for
0: people that are looking to do podcasts. This is a crappy deal with, you know, especially when you're doing deep dive stuff like we're doing. Yeah. You know, it's easy just to hop on and rap about stuff for 30 minutes and drop rap. the What
1: is this the 60? Yeah,
0: drop the mic and walk out, you know, but this stuff it's <laughs> I like to tell everybody, it's a, it's a book report a week.
1: Pretty much, basically,
0: yeah, you know, or a, uh, a term paper or something like that.
1: Yeah, this one was a term paper. There's I a lot
0: of information for this. I, I couldn't get over it.
1: One source, uh, VeliskaIowa.com, and it's slash history.
0: Veliska Iowa. Um, I've, i I might have done similar, but this had newspaper clippings. It had tons of stuff. And uh, some...
1: this had a shit ton of information. There's a lot
0: of information yeah. on this. And the most amazing part of it is with all this information, 97 years later.
1: Still unsolved.
0: Unsolved. I found that absolutely incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. It amazed well, me.
1: You know, it to just take it at face value that, okay, all these people are murdered. Buy an axe, and like nobody knows anything. There's, there's, I don't know, man. Yeah, could have been, could have been the boogeyman, could have been anybody.
0: But basically, I'm
1: shocked they didn't list. Like Bigfoot as a suspect. Or
0: <laughs> Al Capone, you know Mothman. Like, yeah. I just, a Wendigo. Yeah.
1: It's it's I mean they crazy. And
0: all these leads that they went into, which we'll get into Let's later. Get into but, it. Yeah, like June tenth, nineteenth uh twelve. Yep. Was the discovery of the Veliska Axe murderers. The Moore family. Yep. They're very well known, very well liked in Veliska. Yeah. And Villisca, just to circle up, is located in Montgomery County, Iowa. Yes. Yeah. Was there, there was two overnight guests that were also there in their house and they were found murdered.
1: Yes. Everyone that was in the house was murdered. Yeah. Including the two overnight guests. And in the 1900s, when this happened, Villisca, Iowa was a town in the Midwest of about 2,500 people. Yeah. It was flourishing. There were businesses lining the streets and several dozen uh, trains pulled into the depot on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And according to Deion Smith, a Chicago Burlington Quincy Railroad employee, Villisca meant pretty place or pleasant view.
0: It's got an Indian word, though. Too. It does. We'll get into that, that later. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. in
1: 1912, the town built the only publicly funded armory in the state of Iowa. Yeah. And the company housed there participated in the 1916 Mexican Expedition, World War I and World War Two, as well as the Korean and Vietnam Wars. And during World War Two. Montgomery County lost more men per capita than any other uh, county in the United States. So you know that Villisca added to that number. But nobody knows anything about this town other than this horrific death of eight people who were discovered June 10th, 1912.
0: Yeah. It's two adults, six children. Correct. Which is just absolutely yeah. terrible.
1: And while residents were saying that it was meant, um, that Vallisca meant pretty place, it was named for an Indian word, Wallisca, mm-hmm. which means evil spirit. Yeah. So, I mean, there's that.
0: <laughs> that doesn't help.
1: It's, it really yeah. doesn't. But um, this
0: really shook, villisca up like you know it
1: did but you know uh, i'm reading this and like they let a hundred or more people traipse through the house
0: oh yeah it's uh,
1: before the national guard came in and were like hey guys mm -hmm. maybe not walk through this is a a, murder scene
0: this was a, a a top Top case of where the scene was just absolutely destroyed. I think which that's, is why I think the
1: website called it a poorly handled investigation. Yeah, yeah
0: for lack of a better
1: term.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh no, one I, way to say it. And I mean that's honestly where I think you could really just point the finger and say this is why. They haven't and are probably never going to find anybody. No, no. And
1: it's 97 years. So anyone who would have been involved is dead and gone. And they they either took the secret with them to their grave. You and I could just
0: say Timmy Smith and, you know, prove us wrong. Bigfoot. (laughs) Prove us wrong. You
1: can't say. You don't know he wasn't there.
0: (laughs) But the town. Wait, Frank. What's that? Aliens. Are they real? No. (laughs) But the, uh, no, the town got really shook up with this, and they, they locked did. their doors all up. And they,
1: at one point, They were openly carrying
0: weapons. Yes, and, and
1: everybody had, like, their suspect, and, like, you were either... Yeah, it was a you race. You believed it was this person or that person, and if you... It kind of, like, divided oh, people. Oh, it divided the you town. You either...
0: It divided families.
1: You are either in or you're out. Yeah.
0: No, it was a horse race, and everybody had their horse. Yeah. And uh, it just basically... Yeah. People were huddling together while sleeping. And oh, like, yeah. It just no, w-
1: it was.
0: Talk about, this is a great example of how just one incident yes. can strike fear through a large amount of people in a single stroke. And um, this is, you know, yeah. accusations and rumors and suspicion were just going crazy. They brought
1: in uh, bloodhounds, bloodhounds, um, yeah, law enforcement agencies from na- neighboring counties and states all joined forces. Yeah, hundreds of interviews filled thousands of pages. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, it's and just, there's
1: not a damn thing to show for it. You know,
0: other than a lot of. Stuff
1: conjecture and hearsay,
0: yeah, but it's a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. when, w- like I said, when doing this, I just couldn't get over the uh, massive amount of content, yeah. Just so people can understand in the background here, normally when we do a podcast here where we have we don't really have a permanent script if you haven't guessed already, what? and that's the way we like it, but but we have a kind of shell set of notes. Yes. And generally on our tablets, we run anywhere from four to six pages. That's average.
1: Average. Correct.
0: That's what. How many
1: pages you got this time, Frank? I have
0: 13. <laughs> However, I trimmed it because I had 17. I took four pages out because I was like, we're never going to talk about I this I had shit.
1: 16 and I trimmed some stuff out. And you added five more. And I'm <laughs> still at 16 yeah, pages. Yeah.
0: No, last night yeah. I was looking at it. I was like, there's no way... I'm going to get to this stuff. And a lot of it was just how the town came to be and, you know, yeah, all that, yeah. what I would call in these topics fluff, you know, so I tried to get into the, the root of, root of things. Um, but yeah, as of now, um, the house was purchased yes, and it was totally redone and restored to its original condition at the time of the murders. And it's yes. listed on the national registrar of historic places. And it's fun fact open it's, for tours.
1: It's. Uh, most of the other historic buildings in Veliska have been demolished or torn down. And this is one of the few that is still standing. Yeah. yeah. And I believe they still do, um, they like still do tours, tours and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: it's, uh, films and books on yeah. the murders have been around. It's like I said, for the popularity of it, I can't believe I didn't know anything of it, but, but the thing is, is, uh, you know people openly say you're just never going to know what the hell happened
1: no no and
0: uh they were never caught uh and it's just this secret that's been carried obviously to graves cuz anybody that had any information on this is, is gone and or
1: they found the fountain of youth and they've got some other explaining to do
0: yeah yeah so, so
1: let's get into the dates sounds good let's start June 9th and 10th 1912 mhm Lena and Ina, which that's going to be confusing. Sure. Um, Stillinger, they are the daughters of Joseph and Sarah Stillinger. That's easier. Yep. Left their home for church early Sunday morning. They planned on having dinner with their grandmother after the morning service, spending the afternoon with her, and then returning to her home to spend the night after the Children's Day exercises concluded. The girls, however, unfortunately, were invited by Catherine Moore to spend the night at the Moore home instead. Yeah,
0: talk about shit luck.
1: Prior to leaving for the exercises, Mr. Moore placed a call to the Stillinger home to ask permission for the girls to stay overnight. Blanche, Lena and Ina's older sister, told Mr. Moore that her parents were both outdoors, but she would pass the message along to them. Mm -hmm. The Children's Day program at the Presbyterian Church was an annual event and began at approximately 8 p.m. on Sunday evening, June 9th. According to witnesses, Sarah Moore coordinated the exercises. All of the Moore children, as well as the Stillinger girls, participated. Josiah Moore sat in the congregation, The program ended at 9.30 p.m. and the Moore family, along with the Stillinger sisters, walked home from the church. They entered their homes sometime between 9.45 and 10 o'clock p.m.
0: You know, when I see the Stillinger sisters, I just think that's, those are two girls that would be up to no good.
1: Lena and Ina.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Lena and Ina, the Stillinger sisters.
1: (laughs) They were probably the sweetest girls. I know.
0: I'm going to bet they were the sweetest girls, but just the name alone, if you were to be like, yeah, the Stillinger sisters are coming over, I'd be like, do I need to hide the good stuff? Yeah. You know, that's-
1: <laughs> so the following morning at approximately 5 a.m., Mary Peckham, the Moores' next door neighbor, um, she was in her yard hanging laundry, and at approximately 7 a.m., she realized not only had the Moores not been outside, but none of their chores had begun, and that the house itself seemed unusually still and quiet. Mm-hmm. So between 7 and 8 a.m., Mary Peckin- Peckham approached the house and knocked on the door. When she received no response, she attempted to open the door only to find it locked from the inside. Uh, after letting out the Moore's chickens, Mary placed a call to Josiah's brother, Moore, setting into place one of the most mismanaged murder investigations to ever be undertaken. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: So
1: so, basically
0: they're saying it was sometime between like midnight and and 5 a.m.
1: And they're saying that sometime between midnight and 5, an unknown assailant entered the home of J.B. Moore and brutally murdered all occupants of the house with an ax. But I submit Mm. nobody was in the house from 8 p.m. on because of that children's program. Yeah. Who's to say someone didn't enter the home while they were all out and just laid in wait until, you know, they got, they home, got home. And everybody got all
0: Very snug plaw- as a
1: bug in a rug in bed.
0: Very plausible. Very you know? plausible.
1: I don't think we can just assume someone was like, hey, it's midnight. Here's this ax. Whoa! how fortunate for me. This door's open. Yeah. What can I do with this axe now?
0: Well, Ross Moore attempted to look in a bedroom window, knocked on the door, shouted, uh, trying to get someone from inside the house to get their attention. And then uh, when it failed, he... uh,
1: Produced his keys. Yeah,
0: he opened the door, and Mrs. uh, Peckham followed him onto the porch... But she didn't enter the parlor, and Ross went no farther than the room off the parlor. Correct. And when he opened the bedroom door, he saw two bodies on the bed, dark stains on the bedclothes. He returned immediately to the porch and told Mrs. Peckham to call the sheriff. Two bodies in the room downstairs were Lena Stillinger uh, at age 12 and her sister Ina, age 8, and house guests of the Moore Children. The remaining members of the Moore family were found in the upstairs bedrooms by City Marshal Hank Horton. Yep. Who arrived shortly. Every person in the house had been brutally murdered. Their skulls were crushed as they slept. Josiah Moore, age 43. Sarah Montgomery Moore, age 39. Herman Moore, age 11. Catherine Moore, age 9. Boyd Moore, 7. And Paul Moore, age 5, as well as the Stillinger sisters.
1: Correct. So once the murders were discovered, the news traveled quickly in a small town. As neighbors and curious onlookers converged on the house, law enforcement officials quickly lost control of the crime scene. It is said that up to 100 people traipsed through the house, gawking at the bodies before the Villisca National Guard finally arrived. Uh, around noon to cordon off the area and secure the home
0: that's crazy that the national guard had to get pulled through
1: yeah so the only known facts regarding the scene of the crime were eight people had been bludgeoned to death presumably with an axe left at the crime scene it appeared all had been asleep at the time of the murders doctors estimated time of death is somewhere shortly after midnight Curtains were drawn on all of the windows in the house except two, which did not have curtains. Those windows, however, were covered with clothing belonging to the Moors. All of the victims' faces were covered with the bedclothes after they were killed. A kerosene lamp was found at the foot of the bed of Josiah and Sarah. The chimney was off and the wick had been turned back. The chimney was found under the dresser. A similar lamp was found at the foot of the bed of the Stillinger girls. The chimney was also off. The axe was found in the room occupied by the Stillinger girls. It was bloody, but an attempt had been made to wipe it off. The axe belonged to Josiah Moore. The ceilings in the parents' bedroom and the children's room showed gouge marks apparently made by the upswing of the axe. A piece of keychain was found on the floor in the downstairs bedroom. A pan of bloody water was discovered on the kitchen table as well as a plate of uneaten food. The doors were all locked. The bodies of Lena and Ina Stillinger were found in the downstairs bedroom off the parlor. Ina was sleeping closest to the wall with Lena on her right side. A gray coat covered her face. Lena, according to the inquest testimony of Dr. F.S. Williams, lay as though she had kicked one foot out of her bed sideways with one hand up under the pillow on her right side, half sideways. Not clear over, but just a little. Apparently, she had been struck in the head and squirmed down in the bed, perhaps one-third of the way. Lena's nightgown was slid up, and she was wearing no undergarments. There was a blood stain on the inside of her right knee, and what the doctors assumed was a defensive wound on her arm. Dr. Lindquist, the coroner, reported a slab of bacon on the floor in the downstairs bedroom, lying near the axe, weighing nearly two pounds. It was wrapped in what he thought may be a dish towel. And a second slab of bacon about the same size was found in the ice box. Now, like, what the hell?
0: Yeah. So all that chaos was going in.
1: And then dudes walking and around with people slabs walking? of bacon?
0: And and they were they were specific enough to say, however
1: slab of bacon slab found of bacon foot of found. found.
0: <laughs> they were probably upset. It was a waste of bacon.
1: I, I, I'm i not going to say that It's not yeah. uh, a waste of bacon but, Or I mean
0: What if the actor Kevin Bacon Has a old relative whose first name is Slab And actually Slab Bacon is part of the murder here And we just figured out who won Who won, yeah Slab Bacon won I, uh... How do you live with me? I'm sorry <laughs> I, that's gonna be a of... <laughs> It's alright, I can keep going yeah, uh, slab bacon. <laughs> I've just ruined our lives for Kevin Bacon. Now <laughs> we'll watch a movie. He'll be doing something. He go, you know. Do you think he got that from slab? <laughs> do you think he got those? There di- is a
1: zero percent chance that anyone ever was named Slab. (laughs) Really? Regardless of whether or not their last name was Bacon. I don't know. No. It just
0: happened now. (laughs) I wonder if Kevin Bacon and Footloose got his dance moves from Slab Bacon. No. I bet Slab Bacon had some moves. No. I bet he smoked. Stop it. You sure? (laughs) I can keep going. No.
1: You know how when you sprinkle holy water, a demon will go, it burns, it burns. It burns, burns. yeah, yeah. It hurts. It hurts. Just stop. (laughs)
0: Okay. Good thing with the mystery of editing, we can just, uh, we can tighten this section up. Or not. I might leave it all in. I'm leaving slab bacon in. And don't think this is the last time you're going to hear a slab bacon. Kevin Bacon's, like great 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 grandpa actually be great grandpa given the years okay you want me you want me to take over you good
1: Lindquist also made note of one of sarah's shoes which he found on josiah's side of the bed the shoe was found on its side however it did have blood inside as well as under it Mm. and so Lindquist is assuming that sh- that the shoe had been upright when Josiah was first struck, and that blood ran off the bed into the shoe. And he believed the killer later returned to the bed to inflict additional blows and subsequently knocked over the shoe.
0: Or the hundred townspeople running around through the house. Also kicked possible. It over. Or the shoe could have been on the other foot. No, all right. No, we'll stick with slab.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess. And then the person on the website here makes a um, a a pretty bold statement, essentially stating that if had these murders been committed today, it's almost certain that law enforcement officials would have easily solved the crime and brought the murderer to justice. I'm not so sure. No, um, because there's. Little to no evidence this is nineteen twelve so fingerprint printing is fairly new yeah. DNA doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. They aren't even doing blood typing. I don't even know if they know a b o blood typing by this time
0: that's a good question.
1: you know what I mean so they wouldn't they wouldn't know if the murderer had injured themselves and their blood
0: no, but what he's saying is if it was committed today. They would have figured it out.
1: I mean, maybe.
0: Uh, I think people have to get used to the uncomfortable fact that there are a lot of crimes, period, that go unsolved. Yeah. You look at the ratio of law enforcement officials per public. Yes. I mean, you think about this for a second. If you're in a city that has a million people at best, what do you got? 100 police officers?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or just now, law enforcement officials? Now, a small town, like say the town we live in. Right. What do we got? Four?
1: Well, okay. Four or five? Let's take it a step further. My. I grew up in Sequoia. Yeah. We didn't have, like, here. Yeah. yeah we have a police force, like a dedicated police force. Yeah. Sequoia didn't. It no. was. It was either, It most of the time it was a county sheriff.
0: Mm-hmm. But even just kind of like your typical like suburb town mm-hmm. that has, let's just say 20,000 people, mm-hmm. you're probably only going to have about five police, you know, five law officials at best. Mm-hmm. Throw a couple stateies in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But let's just even just say it's 10 against 20,000 people. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of people to just kind of keep going and that's just hoping everything is nice right now you get something like this this is where everybody has to drop everything right and work on this yeah and there's still you know speeding tickets and domestic dispute calls and all that other type of stuff so that's where i like when i was glad you paused on that because
1: yeah i was kind of the same way with it where people
0: say well if that happened now it would have been easy you know it would have been undeniably you know if this happened
1: in Colorado Springs during Joe Kenda's reign.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. We
1: may have stood a chance.
0: Yeah. It that probably it would, would have been solved. That in it two would have days. been solved. Yeah.
1: Well, he, even some of his other cases, some yeah. of them went years before he solved them. No, it's true. But at but the it end of the day, a, he solved
0: them. But I. People have to understand it took a very determined person that had the access to all Correct. that stuff to yes. go through that along with their daily caseload. Correct. And, and so on and so yes. forth.
1: Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah.
0: I mean, if he's going to go on a, a statement like that, I mean, it'd just yeah. be easy for me to say, well, if Longmire was around back then, then it would have been solved in 45 minutes. Yeah. Possibly it an hour and a half if it needed a part two. A part two. A part two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Moving on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you want to handle June 11th?
0: Do what you got to do, because I probably trimmed that
1: June out. 11th, 1912, uh, the county coroner, Dr. Lindquist, arrived at the scene of the crime at approximately 9 a.m., several hours after the, the discovery of the murders. After viewing the crime scene himself, he later met with John Henry Hank Horton, the night watchman, and Sheriff Orrin Jackson to review the information they had collected. Um, although Lindquist called the members of the coroner's jury together in late afternoon, it was several hours before they actually entered the Moore home to view the bodies, and that was after 10 p.m., and that was before he and County Attorney Radcliffe gave the permission for the undertaker to remove them. The mm. fire station has had been set up as a temporary morgue, and it was close to 2 a.m. before all of the bodies had been transported to the fire station. So on June 11th, the coroner's jury convened for the inquest at which 14 witnesses were called to testify. They included Mary Peckham. She's the first witness. She's the next-door neighbor and the first one to notice anything amiss at the house. Uh, She testified that she lived directly next door to the Moors and had seen them before they left for church on Sunday evening. She said, however, uh, she had, however, gone to bed at approximately 8 p.m. and did not see the family return. And according to her testimony, she heard um, absolutely no noises from the house during the night. And she went on to say that she was out in her yard hanging wash between 5 and 6 a.m., and noticed close to seven a.m. that the house was unusually still. Mm-hmm. After attempting to wake the Moors, she let their chickens out and checked on the other livestock, seeing that they were all tied. She called the home of Ross Moore to ascertain whether or not anything had happened in the family that may have given a reason for the Moors to be gone from their home. After speaking with Jessie Ross's wife, she then saw. Um, Ed Selly, one of Josiah's employees, entered the barn to feed the horses. Shortly after Ross arrived, found the key to open the door, and according to Peckham, she stayed on the porch while Ross went in
0: to the house, looked in the well, kitchen. Well, he and looked in
1: the kitchen and opened the door to the downstairs bedroom after seeing two bodies and the blood-stained sheets. He immediately returned to the porch and had her Told them something awful had happened and instructed her to call the sheriff. And Peckham also testified that the doors had been locked with a key and no key was in the lock on the inside of the door.
0: Yep. Then there's uh Ed Seely, the second witness, who was employed by Josiah Moore. Ed arrived to tend the animals, and the um the second witness basically Testified on that Monday morning, June 10th, that he had opened the store and received a call from Ross, Josiah's brother. Ross asked him if he knew where Josiah uh, was, and Seely called the Elder Moore's home to see if he had gone to visit his father. Josiah's mother told him uh, he had not been there. Uh, Seely or Selly then received a call from Mary Peckham, who asked him. Asked him if Josiah was at the store and told him that livestock needed tending. Seely then left the store and went to the Moore home where he fed the horses. After returning to the store, he received another call, telling him to bring the marshal to the house quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's when the marshal got all up and to play there. According to Seely's testimony, Ross and Peckham had entered the house before he returned with the marshal, so that lined up. Yep. When they arrived, they all re-entered together. After seeing blood on the bed in the downstairs bedroom, he left the house. While waiting outside the homes, Seely was met by Harry Moore. According to Selly, uh when Marshall Horton came out of the house, his comment was, there is somebody dead, or they have been killed in every bed. At that time, the house was locked. The marshal left to call for the coroner and the sheriff, and Celly returned to the store to call the John Deere people in Omaha to alert them of the news. Sully returned to the house with his father after making the call to Omaha, but did not reenter the home. When questioned at the inquest about possible enemies of Joe Moore, Sully admitted that Joe had mentioned a brother-in-law that could have been a threat. He says, I got a brother-in-law that doesn't like me. Said he, would, wouldn't get even, he uh, would. Said he would get even with me at some time. The brother-in-law that Moore was referring to was Sam Moyer. Sally denied having any other information regarding anyone who would have wanted to murder the Moore family and was excused.
1: Dr. J. Clark Cooper is the third witness. He was the first physician to enter the Moore home after the murders. Cooper testified that he was called to the Moore home at approximately 8.15 the morning of June 10th when Hank Horton entered his office and said, come with me. According to Cooper, when he asked Horton why, Horton appeared extremely frightened and replied, Joe Moore and all his family were murdered in bed. Cooper accompanied Horton to the house, waited outside while Horton retrieved the keys from the Peckhams, and when he returned, Cooper, Horton, Dr. Uh, Howe, and the Presbyterian minister, Mr. Ewing, entered the home together. According to Cooper, the group stepped into the dining room and then into the first floor bedroom. All we could see was the arm of someone sticking out from under the edge of the cover uh, of the bed with blood on the pillows. And I went over and lifted the covers and saw what I supposed was a body, some entire um, strange and a mere child at the back of the bed. He did not recognize them at all, neither did any of the people that were in there. Um, And they merely saw that they were dead and that there were only two people in the bed And then we stepped out into the parlor. When they reached the top of the stairs, a lamp sat on the floor. Horton moved the lamp out of their way, and they continued into the bedroom. The lamp was sitting at the foot of the bed in our way, so Hank set it to one side to allow us to pass. Hank was ahead of me, and he walked around uh, the corner to the left-hand side of the bed and turned the cover back and said, Here's Joe. And I merely glanced over there the first time as I came up, and I saw that Mr. and Mrs. Moore were both dead, And I immediately went into the south room and left the other people with them. I do not know whether any of them came with me to the south room, but I left plenty of them in the north room while I went to the south room. And then we began to count the children. When questioned about the condition of the bodies, Cooper admitted that he did not touch the corpses. The bedding was pretty stiff at the head, and the blood and the brains on the pillow were, as he stated, had contracted, as it does when killed, will dry, yeah. and then it's like a perfect jelly at that time, mm-hmm. and the blood clots were dry. He, he estimated that the Moores and Stillingers had been dead for at least five to six hours. Cooper also testified that he smelled no unusual or antiseptic odor in the house, and that it seemed that the faces of the victims had been covered after they were murdered. I saw no clothes sticking into any of the wounds in my superficial examination. Neither did I see any clothing that had any holes in it. I i mean, any of the sheets or pillows, nothing had a hole in it.
0: Yeah, that's... um. So then basically the rest of the witnesses, there's about like, what, 12, 13? 14. Yeah, 14 of them. We won't go through all of them, but most of them are just corroboration of how everybody got contacted to get there. Yep. The big ones were Jesse Moore and... Dr. F.S. Williams, uh, or wait, Dr. Clark, J. Clark Cooper that you brought up, they had the most exposure yeah. to the, the actual bodies. And then there's F.S. Williams, he the fifth witness. He examined the
1: bodies. Who
0: was the physician that examined the bodies of the murder victims. and uh, And he was the fifth witness called in. And he was the second physician to enter the home. And he testified that Ed Seely stopped him on the street on morning of June 10th and told him that a doctor was wanted at the Moore home for an examination there. He went on to say that when he arrived at the house, Dr. Cooper and another party were coming out of the porch. According to Williams, Cooper and another person he thought was Hank Horton reentered uh, with him. Williams went on to testify that upon entering the home, he smelled no odor of anesthetic. Nothing seems to be out of place and the faces of the bodies remained covered. When asked to describe the position of the bodies, Williams went on to say that the bed in Joe and Sarah's room was facing towards the east with their heads to the west. Joe lay on the south side or left side of the bed on his back. His left hand was on his chest. The faces were all beaten in. Williams testified that Sarah was lying beside Joe. In the bedroom to the south at the left hand, East side of the room was a cot and another bed standing there with a little boy in it. He was uh, sleeping on his stomach and top of his head was beaten in. There was a gauze undershirt on top of his head soaked up with blood. I lifted that off, lifted it to see which one it was then in the bed angling at the foot of the bed, Southeast corner or the angling at, at the foot of the bed, Southeast corner of the room was another bed with a little girl and her head was all beaten in. And on the top of her bed was a little dress, and it was blood splattered. He thought it was partly curled up over her head and covers pulled up over her face, and in the bed to the southwest corner of the room were two little boys lying with both of their tops um, of their heads of their heads beaten in, and blood spattered on everything and blood all over the pillows. When he entered the downstairs bedroom, Williams said he saw two girls— From their appearances, one was a big woman and a little girl and that the girl out to the outside of the bed next to the east side there were in. Um, Their heads were facing to the north. She had evidently moved after having been struck or had been moved. The blood was all scattered over the pillows. Apparently, she had been struck on the head, squirmed down in the bed, perhaps one third of the way. And left, uh, the left hand was thrown back and was sticking up below the pillow. And her head was again like all the others beaten in. He took particular action to an axe wound and that the edge had come out of the forehead so he could see the sharp edge, uh, well, uh, well on the top side of the head. And the little girl, the back side of the head was mm-hmm. so he did not recognize either one of the little girls uh the little girl in the front of the bed looked familiar but she was so mutilated that he was unable to identify her at the time i can't even imagine how terrible yeah this scene must have looked it must have been absolutely well, probably
1: terrible. similar to uh the danvers police when oh. they went into the borden home yeah. and saw, oh yeah lizzie's stepmother and father
0: that handiwork yeah and, um, does
1: anyone know where Lizzie Borden is at this time?
0: Shes with slab bacon <laughs> and uh he um uh let's see, basically, yeah, he wasn't able to identify her at the time, but he thought over uh he thought over the girl to the back of the bed was uh in a little boy's gray coat, and it had been thrown over her head, and there was clothing, some clothing on the floor, some underwear and notice some under the bed, and also the dresses hanging up, laying or hanging up on the wall, or the foot of the bed. I, uh, and he forgot which, uh, you know, there was just no blood on some of this stuff. He was questioned about the possibility of a sexual assault on the victims, and he responded to the negative. Uh, he looked to see if there was any possible, might have been, you know, an attempted intercourse or rape or something, but he just said he didn't notice any. Correct. And that was as far as the details with that. Again, you gotta take the time into consideration. Mm-hmm. After testing uh testifying that he found no footprints at the scene, Williams was excused. Now that's a weird part where some of this stuff comes into play where
1: I think it's interesting that the brother wasn't called until like the seventh witness, and he was actually the first one who went in the house.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cause the sixth witness um was a summer visitor to the the mother's home, Edward Landers and the coroner called Edward Landers to the stand and Landers was visiting his mother for the summer and staying just a few houses from the moors. And -hmm. this is where you get some of those extra extraneous stuff. And he he testified that, you know, basically he didn't think of anything Mm -hmm. that took up, but Rossmore.
1: He's the seventh witness. He's Josiah's brother and the first person to enter the house after the murders. He's the second member of the Moore family to be called to stand. He's Josiah's brother, and Ross testified that at approximately 8.15 a.m. Sunday morning, June 10th, Mrs. Peckham, Joe's next-door neighbor, called him and inquired as to the health of his parents. She went on to tell him that she had already spoken to his wife and thought it unusual that the Moore house was so quiet. Ross then walked over to Joe's store, spoke with um, Ed Selly, who also said uh, Joe hadn't been in yet and that, yes, he too found that unusual. And according to Ross, he then went over to the house, checked the barn to see if Joe's team was still there. He and Mrs. Peckham then tried uh, rapping on windows and calling for someone, but the blinds were down and that prevented him from seeing into the house. He then used one of his keys to open the door. Ross went on to say that he entered the parlor and noted that nothing looked out of place. It wasn't until he pushed open the door into the room off the parlor that he saw blood on the sheets. He said, I did not wait long enough to see anything else, and returned outside and told Mrs. Packham to call the marshal. When questioned further, Ross could shed no light on any possible suspects and was asked to step down.
0: I say we get into the suspects, okay? You know, because there's a lot more witnesses, but at this point, the witnesses are pretty standard. Yeah, it's all just corroborating that people entered the house and same thing. However, they were saying that during the days following the crimes, there was tons of possibilities that the newspapers were searching around. Mm -hmm. Again, they were just as scattered as everyone else. And most of the leads and everything that they would uh, pursue were exhausted as quickly as they started discovering them. And from a historian standpoint and many that have studied the ax murderers, there seems to be three kind of areas of who, who did this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty interesting because there's many who believe that Frank F. Jones, a prominent Villisca resident and an Iowa state senator, was responsible, was responsible for the deaths of the Moors and the Stillinger children. Others insist that there's uh, the Reverend,
1: Reverend George Kelly was, was the culprit.
0: culprit. Yeah. And others believe that the Moore murders were the work of someone totally unrelated to the town of Villisca, like a traveler, a hobo, or c- right. serial killer. I would be in the latter camp. Correct. I'm just sitting. I, uh, I
1: am going. I'm leaning more toward the, the vagrant, because I mean they they said several trains, stop yeah, in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So through
1: the course of the day.
0: Yeah, and it just uh, the only thing that's weird with this is the covering of the faces.
1: Well, that that's usually indicative of someone who feels remorse. No, that's what I'm getting at. But it's also someone that usually has some sort of connection to them.
0: That's what I'm saying. And then that's where the traveler, the hobo or serial killer, that's a tough angle because of that.
1: Correct.
0: You know, that's a, I'm not saying it's a deal sealer, but, but it's a flag that needs to be raised. Yeah. To say, yeah. You know, "Uh, I don't know.
1: So, Josiah Moore worked for Frank Jones at the Jones store for several years until he opened his own implement company in 1908. According to Velisca residents, Jones was extremely upset that Moore had left his employ and managed to take the very lucrative John Deere franchise with him. Rumor was that Moore had had an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, Donna, which further fanned the flames. Detective Wilkerson of the Burns Detective Agency openly accused Frank and his son Albert of hiring William Mansfield to kill Joe Moore. Neither Jones uh, was ever arrested and both denied vehemently any connection to the murders. So, should we get into William Blackie Mansfield?
0: (laughs) Well, Mansfield's kind of a, um, they talked about him a lot in the press because that was that whole... I don't have it in my notes, but wasn't it that Frank Jones was, they were saying possibly that Frank Jones paid William Mansfield to commit the murders? Yeah, so William
1: Blackie Mansfield was arrested in 1916, Mm -hmm. and they have paid by Frank Jones to commit the more murders, question mark? Yeah. William Mansfield of Blue Island, Illinois, was the prime suspect of the Burns Detective Agency of Kansas City and Detective James newton uh, Wilkerson. According to the Wilkerson investigation, the murder of Joe Moore and the other occupants of the Moore home were committed by Mansfield, who was in turn hired by F.F. Jones. Mansfield was also known as jo- jo- George Worley and or Jack Turnbaugh. According to Wilkerson, Mansfield was a cocaine fiend and serial killer. Cool. <laughs> Wilkerson also believed Mansfield was responsible for... For the axe murders of his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law in in Blue Island, Illinois, on July 5th, 1914, two years after the Velisca murders. So he
0: had an axe to grind with him?
1: Uh, The axe murders committed in Paola, Kansas, four days before Velisca murders and the murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Colorado. According to Wilkerson's investigation, all of the murders were committed in precisely the same manner, indicating the same man committed them. Wilkerson stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of these places on the night of the murders. In each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe and the mirrors in the homes were covered. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed and a basin in which the murderer washed was found in the kitchen. In each case, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Wilkerson believed was strong evidence that the man was Mansfield, who knew his fingerprints were on file at the federal military prison at Leavenworth. Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation in 1916, and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Villisca murders. He was released for a lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against Wilkerson and was awarded $2,225. Wilkerson believed that pressure from Jones resulted not only in Mansfield's release, but also in the subsequent, subsequent arrest and trial of Reverend Kelly. So jury probed... Probing evidence, the case against William Mansfield, accused of Veliska X murders, is now up.
0: So yeah, this is the guy that was leaving on a train the day of the murders, and a woman overheard a conversation with three men in the woods plotting the murder of the Moore family a short time before the killings. So there was that guy, uh, R.H. Thorpe. And then there was the Reverend George Jacqueline Kelly arrested 1917 and that surrounded some sort of weird confession that got yeah. thrown out, but he had two trials. He had a first one that was a hung jury and he had one that was finally acquitted in mm-hmm. the second one where the others didn't really have multiple trials. That one seemed weird out of all of it. Well, they're and saying
1: he, the biggest thing was that he was there the night of the murders and then s- subsequently departed in the early morning hours of June. 10th. Yeah.
0: I mean, it really kind of made he's him a
1: traveling preacher.
0: Yeah. It really kind of made him a prime, prime suspect. suspect. And then there's Henry Lee Moore, uh, where they talk about an actual serial killer mm-hmm. and, Henry Lee Moore is, actually, he was served eventually 36 years of a life sentence before being paroled by the governor of Missouri on December 2nd, 1949. And the governor commuted his sentence on July 30th, 1956. Uh, and that was for, oh, it was a series of things, wasn't it? Um, oh, I'm trying to f- figure out what that was for. It was obviously nothing uh, nothing good, but. Um there was other axe murderers that were coming to light during Correct. the Just investigation nine months before the crime of It was Alaska. 9 months before that. HC Wayne and his wife and child and Mrs. AJ Burm and her two children were bludgeoned with an axe in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which I mean is close but not super super close. Mm-hmm. A month later in October of 1911 a family was killed in Monmouth, uh, Illinois. And just a week later, five members of a family in Ellsworth, Kansas, were murdered as they slept. Just a week before the killing of the Moors and Stillingers in Villisca, a man and his wife were killed in Paloa, Kansas, and the similarities in the crimes were striking. And that's where it gets me to like a traveling person going around and just doing this wherever the hell they are. And that's what's crazy about. These type of stories, because mm-hmm. you can take all the precautions in the world. You could live in the greatest neighborhood on the planet. Yeah. You could do all this stuff. But if you've got some lone nut that's just going around, not to make everybody paranoid and nervous about things, but it's just to be grateful every day you get up and you're alive and you're right. doing well. Well, you they know, say that
1: like in your lifetime, you are going to like pass on the street or in some way, shape or form have passed by like, uh, a sociopath or a serial killer. And for whatever reason you didn't fit the bill.
0: Well, and it's also just, um, you know, I don't think people realize how many felons they're near.
1: Oh, you know, just huh, felons yeah, in a, in exactly. a general nature,
0: yeah. you know? Um, it's, uh, and like I said, it's nothing to spread fear or anything like that, but it's just, it's something to take in consideration. Right. And it also depends where you work, too. I mean, if you work in certain areas, that's those are jobs that only felons can get. Right. And you could be working around a lot of felons. And mm-hmm. if you're oblivious to stuff like that, you wouldn't know. Right. And guess what? It wouldn't matter because some, you know, there's a lot of felons that just made one bad decision. Correct. It was a terrible decision, but they made one bad decision. Right. And they paid for it. Right. They paid their debt. Right. And they're trying to get their life back together. Mm-hmm. And they're, that's a lot of the felons that are out in the world. Right. There's this small branch of felons, and the problem is they're really effective. They just don't care. Yeah.
1: They're the they, the repeat offender. Yeah. They're they, the,
0: they just don't care, the though. the
1: sociopath. They don't feel it.
0: Yeah. That's well. That's their and, jam. That's yeah, what they do. Yeah. It's just, that's the way it is. Like, there's soldiers, yeah. there's medical professionals, there's, you know, mm-hmm. people who heal there's people who destroy. And there's
1: murderers. Yeah, no, there's yeah. people who
0: heal and there's people who destroy. And and definitely with these other accounts of things like that that are around those dates.
1: I mean, when you break it down, it, and I highly recommend going to this website because, I mean, it does have a lot oh, of information. Oh, there's a ton of stuff where... A lot of it's poorly written, over. but yeah. um, they... It's a blog. They do know just how many freaking axe murderers...
0: Around that occurred area. Occurred. Yeah.
1: Around not only that area, but that time. And it's like, seriously? Like, did Lizzie Borden start a trend or something?
0: <laughs> well, no, but then you wonder the whole Lizzie Borden thing. You know, you could question that and be like, did that really take place? Yeah, but
1: she just wanted to live in the house on the hill. I
0: know. It's such a great, like, <laughs> such a great
1: She's, She went all Veruca salt. I want it now! I want it
0: now, damn it. Yeah. Answer to the axe. Yep or slab bacon's going to come over. Ugh. Now you're really done. But yeah, that's where I find it interesting. I think they obviously found the person. In one way shape or form, they they found the person because
1: or that person just moved on.
0: Well, yeah, could have moved on too. Yeah. You know. But that's where they talk v- about Bolisco
1: was a one and done. Yeah. Blue is wad. Killed eight
0: people, and he was like, God.
1: "All right, this'll do. F- this'll do me for a bit." Mo- got hopped on a train and went to the next place.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's again where I see it more of a ser- serial killer type of thing. Yeah, um,
1: this is the the Wild West's version of the uh, what they're calling the um, like the long haul trucker.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: serial killer loop. This is the train loop, train serial killer loop.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and that's a, uh, I remember when, oh, I read that years back. Mm-hmm. and It was some CIA or FBI, FBI mm-hmm. analyst, and I think it was a, I think it was a woman, and she said something to the effect of, like, the truckers, you know, like. Oh, yeah. They're like saying the, there's
1: no less than 50 serial killers operating. Under the in, guise under of truckers, this, the truckers uh, group. Yep, yeah. yep.
0: Well, and I mean, you think about it. It's the perfect environment
1: Correct. for that
0: type of activity. Oh, yeah. you could do something, and then you're three states away well, that, in a matter of 24 hours. They
1: have the lot you know? lizards yeah. that are usually uh, drug addicts yeah. who are performing sexual favors. Acts. yes. Yeah. In exchange for drugs and or money, mm-hmm. but they're the fringes of society. So no one's necessarily looking for them and no one necessarily knows that they're gone or missing cares. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's, it's, it's really, yeah. I remember it was years ago. I want to say it was about 10, 15 years ago. She gave this, it was part of an interview of something else and that was mentioned like in addition to it. And, um, and I just sat there thinking about it. It's like that could last forever. Yeah. Like, that's a forever thing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, unless they go all big brother and the lots and all that stuff and, you know, have I mean, cameras and all that. But which here's the thing. That's where all this shit's going It's
1: going to it's gonna have to be like an FBI investigation because these guys are crossing yeah. jurisdictional well, lines why, all the time. That's
0: why the 60s and 70s were huge because of the hitchhikers. It's the 60s, man. No, but I'm just saying that's yep. where a lot of that shit was going on. You know, and that's something that a current generation person would never understand. understand. We were on the tail end of that where you could hitch, wasn't recommended, but you could hitch and you drive by and you'd see people hitching all the time.
1: We could hitch up until Adam, the life where uh, Adam Walsh went missing and then they found his skull. And then all of a sudden they were like, you know what? No more hitchhiking. You got to stay with your parents. What's that around here? You don't know the disappearance of Adam Walsh? Well, no,
0: I'm just saying, but that's what did it around here? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, as soon as that happened, Adam went missing, and then they found mm-hmm. parts yeah. of him. Yeah, It was like, all right, party's over. There was a, a yeah, lockdown I think, on.
0: Yeah, I think it was a little later, but I, I think it was just a culmination of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was one thing. No. but But definitely, like... The 60s and 70s, people got to understand that you could literally hitch across the country. Correct. Yeah. And the fact is, is people that were mostly hitching didn't really have a grounded relationship with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They would just go from one town to the next town to the other. And it was a feast for that type of behavior at that point. And it reflected it. Right. It really did. I mean- pretty much all the big names that you hear about they were picking up hitchhikers going from pa- place to place not right. only were they doing shit at a destination but on right. the way they yeah. were doing it and then the hitchhiking thing stopped because people stopped hitchhiking mm-hmm. there's people that still do right and i mean my
1: ex brother-in-law was one of them
0: you know well and and here's the thing i mean this gotta is, do what you gotta do when no, you gotta get is, to
1: work, and you ha- you've had too many DWIs, and you don't have no, a license just, anymore.
0: This is where I look at life today, and I'm gonna go on a small rant, and we can wrap this up. But you know, let people do whatever the fuck they want to do. Quit and, trying to tell people yeah. what they can't do. Like if somebody wants to go hitchhiking, fine.
1: And let them it's deal not, with the consequences. Yeah,
0: and either they're going to get to their destination, or they're not, or they're not. Yeah. But guess what? That's their choice. That's right. their decision. Yes. I always hated that when they were just like, "Oh, look, you know, we we got to stop hitchhiking." It's like, why? Yeah. If somebody wants to hitchhike, they're going to hitchhike.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's the same thing with doing drugs too. Yeah. Like if they want to do agree the drugs, with,
1: they're going to do the drugs. I don't agree
0: with it as a former drug user. mm Hmm. But I do get it, as a former drug user, why people do drugs. But here's the thing. If they do that, that's their own ship that they're sailing. Correct. And I'm part of the the, the side of the street where, okay, you want to do that, then don't come to me when your life's all fucked up. Yeah. All fucking crazy. Yes. You know, don't expect me to bail you out. Mm-hmm. Don't expect me to, you know, and that's where someone like me has a hard time with situations like now where someone can just go and do whatever the fuck they want mm-hmm. and they can destroy their lives, but somehow everybody's got to circle around them and raise them up. Yep. And it's like, look, if that person wants to be raised up and says, look, yeah, I did screw up. I'm trying to get on the right path. I want to do this. And I want right. to do that. You've got all the help in the world for me. Right. You really do. Correct. But when I hear like the mother with the son and like somebody has to help my son, it's like, no, you need to help your son. Yeah. Yeah. You need to help your son. I don't need to help your son. Right. I'm no kids Frank over here. Right. 46 years running. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't need to help your kids. You should be helping your kids. I don't ask you to help my dog every day. No. I don't ask you to help me feed my dog every day. No. I feed my dog because that's my responsibility. And I know I'm comparing a dog to a kid in this regard, but the principle's the same. Right. And that's where I can't You're stand... responsible
1: for yeah. your shit. And I'm
0: not going to get in a bunch of hot button topics, but people got to stop telling other people what to fucking do.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And let them do what they want to do. And if they put their ass in a sling, well, then that's on them.
1: Correct.
0: And the hard part is, is you and I grew up in that.
1: We did. We did. We
0: grew up in it. And look yes. at us. We're doing great yep. out of that environment. Yes. Everybody I know that grew up in that environment did great. Yeah. There's a handful of people, which there always will be. Yes. that just And there always has been. Mm-hmm. will have a hard time fitting in on that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it created very... Self-sufficient, self-motivated, self-driven people. Yes. And I got friends that I grew up with that at the time growing up, and I say grown up loosely up to like 30, 35, Mm -hmm. which to me, you're always growing, Mm -hmm. but there was friends that I just didn't want to even deal with because they just had too much baggage of shit around them. Right. And they were so toxic that if you got near them, that shit would get on you. Right. You'd get in trouble, you would get in yep. any sort of thing. And I and I always got into trouble. I always got into bullshit as a person. Mm-hmm. And that made me realize too that there was a lot of people that didn't want to get near me because right. they didn't want to get anything on me. Yeah. It wasn't a a, a preconception or a, a, a like some stupid biased perception of me or whatever. It was the truth. Yeah. And and at that time, I had a hard time handling that type of truth. Mm-hmm. But then as you get older and you get established in your life and you find yourself and you find things going, you realize, yeah, I still don't like to having people tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. But I also get why people were telling me what to do. I was yeah. a very hard-headed person. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have anyone come rescue me either. Right. Like, even if I needed help, I needed to seek after and, and and search for help. Yeah. I couldn't just lay there around and, you know, the world would come around me and help my ass. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't like that. And that's where I look at things like hitchhiking. There's a list of them. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not going to get it onto here, but I think people really today have to really focus on that idea. Like if you're someone that's sitting there telling people what they should do Mm -hmm. and how they need to live Mm -hmm. their lives, think about it for half a second. How would you feel if somebody was telling you what to do and how to live your life?
1: Yeah. And how you should or should not live your life. And I
0: guarantee a hundred percent you'd fucking hate it.
1: Yeah. Be like, or no, it would be, who are you to tell me yeah, what to do? No, exactly.
0: Yeah. And it's like, what gives you the authority what gives to you tell the right? someone else yeah. on their own journey, their own path in life while you're doing your own journey? Yep. It's back to that old, that staying that saying, I love in, in life and everything. Stay in your lane. Yeah. Literally, just stay in your lane. You can look, you can see what I'm doing. Yeah. And you can say, hey, that's really awesome. Or, hey... That or sucks. Let's
1: go even, even older, you know, people in glass houses shouldn't cast, cast stones. stones,
0: Yeah, no. And, and that's, that's the thing is you get a lot of really, I hate to say it for lack of a better term, a bunch of sensitive people yes. that are telling everybody how to fucking live their lives.
1: Yeah. But yet how to you make, just no how to make things easier and better for them. Well,
0: no, that's at the end of the, and that's what I'm getting at. This yeah. is the closing part of this. This isn't a off the hip rant that I'm just Mm -hmm. exhaling on. The fact is, is you have a bunch of sensitive people that are telling other people what to do. Mm -hmm. Yet if you were to give them any criticism at all, at all, they would crumble and shatter like a dry leaf Mm -hmm. and blow in the wind in 8 million directions of emotion. But yet all of the things that they're telling you what to do is to make their life comfortable for them. Right. It has nothing to do with you. Right. It has nothing to do with the world. No. It has nothing to do with a philosophy uh, of helping everyone out. It is completely self serving. Yeah. And I think people need to just start saying enough. Yes. And that's where I just I put it on this perspective through here. Yeah. You know I thought it was a good idea to bring it up on this because the hitchhiking thing I saw that and I wanted to bring that through because I grew up in that whole thing where everybody hitched, everybody hitched. And you'd hear that one, you know, that 5% of stories where shit went wrong. Right. You know, but it was literally a time and an era where you and I grew up in where you still could trust a lot of people around you. Yeah. And now you can't trust anybody. Yeah. And the reason for that is, is because you're fed in your mind that you can't trust anybody. Right. You're fed in your mind. I feel sorry for kids now because they grow up. They're not allowed to talk to anybody. They can't trust anybody. No. And no. then here's the thing. They're going to grow up and they're going to find out all these friendly people. Right. All yeah. these people that are nice and all mm-hmm. these people and people that they didn't think were nice, whether right. it's someone of color right. or a different sexual, you know, preference or something like that. They're going to find this all out. It's uh, a shame. On that note, that's Axe Murder House.
1: Yeah. Ish.
0: Ish. <laughs> with a With a splash of rant here and there. Yeah. I find it fascinating that I mean you're talking all of this time, mm-hmm. over a hundred years, yeah, and and no one's ever no. come up with any solid lead. And again, that's where I think it's more of this traveling serial killer. Yeah. I hate the hobo reference and all that because yeah, but you know, I hobo's mean, just trying to get to California, man. You know, <laughs> or he's just trying to get to you know Alaska. Maybe Plot of we life should do an own. episode on hobos. On hobos with shotguns. No. No. All right. No. I think we should do one on slab bacon, but I don't no. think that's going to get through the committee.
1: No, it's not. I know the as creative. someone who creates the lists. Yeah. No.
0: So speaking of lists, yes. What do we got next week, hon? We
1: are going to Salem, Massachusetts. We sure not are. Literally, we're going to go via the show, and yes. we're going to. For those of you. Uh, who may be traveling to Salem Correct. at some point uh in between the coming now month. and uh the coming month or months. Yep. Well as frequent travelers to season, Salem.
0: Season travelers of Salem. Yeah. We're
1: going to uh give you some tips and tricks and ways to
0: ways to maneuver through yeah. the day. So basically yeah. what we're gonna do is we're gonna name drop a bunch of our favorite places, right? Points yes. of interest, yeah. Places to eat, yes. Places to stay, yes. And uh, basically, with that being said, you'll we're hoping to create a little kind of pocket guide for you to go yeah. and where my
1: shoppers at? Because I got you, yeah. I got all of you. And
0: we're gonna show you all the the our favorite places to shop. That we go to routinely. It's yes. our must stops. Yes. Every single year we stop at these places. Correct. Every single year we stop at these places to eat. Correct. And then we have some other. You know, we have a portion of the day where we will just kind of check this place out. And that I'd place have to out. say,
1: I think every year we find one new place. Yeah. Where we're like, oh man, that was so cool! Mm-hmm. And this so, year
0: we're going. What is it, four, four or five years now? Yeah, it will I think be this for is the us fourth or fifth year. Yeah, and but basically, this is more designed for the person who's either doing the day trip or the overnighter. Correct. Um, because we do the Halloween ball, and that's yeah, a four-day, five-day excursion. Uh, that's a like a Friday to Tuesday type deal, and we yeah. stay at the Hawthorne Hotel. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we're going to do that. And anyone that's listening in Salem that knows a very cool place and you'd like us to share it with the the rest of the listeners on the podcast, you can email us at our working email address at OTH at com, And we'll definitely, we'll name drop it. And, Correct. And or you
1: can shout it out on the Facebook group. Facebook
0: group or the or Instagram. Instagram. Yep. Instagram account. Yeah. And uh, so we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a nice thing of us, be fun, you guys. Us talking about our favorite things and and to make the most of your visit there.
1: Right. This is this. You can pick and choose from the from the list to plan out your day.
0: Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to do is put in the show notes the list of the places. Right. So if yes. you're there and you're like, oh, I forgot because we talked about it. Right. You could bring up the show notes on the episode. Regardless of your platform, because we're going to throw it in the feed, right? And it'll have and the then list it'll of have it all listed points out: points of interest, restaurants, places to stay. We'll throw it up so on, on and so
1: Facebook forth. and Instagram yep. as well.
0: No, exactly. All so right. So, th- with that being said, number one,
1: no Ouija boards. Number two, no dolls. Three, no capes. Four, no blood rituals. Five, no cults, satanic or otherwise. Six, no apathy. We've got to start. Acting to help make a better change yes, in yes. the world.
0: Yeah. And um, so we'll look forward to you uh, next week with Salem, Mass. And Correct. all the goodies and great things to do there. Again, thank you so much for listening to us and coming back every week. And um, we hope you have a great day. We hope you have a wonderful week.
1: And make good choices.
0: Take care, folks.